Whenever you want. If you guys have supper. When I used to say Shirkoli and Chavini in the chairs, I sat. I think that learning Torah should be comfortable. Uh, those people that feel they need to superior, show their superiority by standing while other people sit, well, I'm superior anyway. So, why express it? <laughs> okay, choking aside, that's the way to get your attention. Uh, but I am. <laughs> okay, the topic. Um, like yesterday I did a halachic treatment of hollow, which I will not do today because I have one of my one of my people was there, so we're not doing that. You missed a good one. Um, Dr. Elon Agus will tell you all about it. Uh, the topic today will be, I, I'd like to really understand what significance uh, Yom Matzmut is to, to me. This is going to be actually quite subjective, and I'll explain the necessity of it. There are too many people which think that Yom Ha'atzmut is the day to talk about Eretz Yisrael. And they will give you a plethora of Midrashim and Rabbinic lore, the importance of Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael. And it's totally irrelevant to Yom Ha'atzmut. Eretz Yisrael is, was, and will be ours, and was never, whatever wasn't ours. Yom Ha'atzmut has nothing to do with Eretz Yisrael. It has everything to do with Medinat Yisrael. I'd like to explain the theological, at least my subjective theological understanding of what Medinat Yisrael is historically, theologically, and why I find it's probably one of the most important days of the year to celebrate. Last night I spoke about the halachic ramifications of that celebration, came to quite a dramatic conclusion that if you don't really identify with it, don't waste your time. Uh, mechanical saying moidims are not what to count. We really have to identify with it. Today I'm going to discuss why do I say halan yon smut. You know, it all started... Uh, my dad was an, uh, a real card-carrying Aguda member, you know, he grew up in Chicago, not, not, not Brooklyn, don't worry about it, uh, in the normal part, you know, like the, that famous cartoon in the New Yorker magazine, there's Fifth Avenue, Sixth Avenue, Seventh Avenue, and the rest of it, I'm from the rest of it, the great Midwest, Chicago. So why, what did we, my dad in the great, in the rest of it of America, he taught me what Yomatsmut was, and let me tell you something. He was a card-carrying member of a Gudat Yisrael, you know, with the whole nine yards. Oh, prepared Shir, Ripshimish Kup, and Grodna, learned Farabar, Kotler, and Klatsk, learned, you know, at the age of 11, was in Baranovich, Baranovich, the right resume, you know. Uh, blue blood, right tie, right scarf, you know, straight out of the Orthodox Harvard Yard. But on July 4th, we had this big, you know, red, white, and blue flag furled out over the window of the living room. And on Hey ER, we had this big, you know, the white and blue with the uh, two triangles. Did you ever read the Da Vinci Code? That's what those two triangles are, but we're not going to discuss that. Okay? Dan Brown. So, um, I'm serious. That's another sheer, if you really want to know. Uh... Well, whoever is a bit well-read in the in Kamajana will understand what I just said. Yeah, that is actually what it is. Anyway, that, those were big days. And I remember asking my dad, you know, Emerson Litvak, you know, really, you know, he said, sin is to the shin, you know, chela meidim anachnolok, you know, the whole, the whole thing, right? You know, Yeim Hashisi, Asisi, you know, we're supposed to figure out that was Bible, you know what I mean? But that's the way it was. And, um, and asked Dad, like, 
what's this? Does it work? I mean, can you explain this to me? He says, you don't understand because you were not where I was. One day you'll understand. I don't want to explain to you. You have to understand it on your own. That was real education. We don't spoon feed in my classroom. You're going to have to figure this. I'll give you. I'll teach you how to think, but you, but you are going to have to learn how to feel on your own. So it took me years to understand my father, and I can say, well, Hareini Yoisumiki Ben Shivim Shana Zachisi, and I think I understand why my father did that. I'm going to explain. You know, there's a. Um, one of the greatest students of the altar of Slabotka, Dustin Svi Finkel, was a Chavrusa, the old Chavana Rosh Yeshiva, His name was Bavram Elio Kaplan. Bavram Elio Kaplan was the, uh, died very young at the age of 36. He was one of the, probably at the time the prime student of Slabotka, the big Uri of Slabotka. Rebchatskul used to talk about him in tears. His name was Bavram Elio, Benner of Elio. He was born a Yosem, and Nebuchadnezzar left a son. He was also a he, he died young. He was married to a, uh, to a brother, a, uh, a niece of Zistel of Kellum. He was the head of the Hildesheimer Rabbiner Seminar in Berlin. A genius. A real Slabotka, a real... Uh, when, when he used to come, Reb when he used to come to Slabotka for Elul, the altar would like cry just to see him. He was like, this was his protege. And Revelia writes in his book, a book called Bikvot Yira, a very moving eulogy on Theodore Herzl. And I will quote it. Hulo limdanu Torah, va'af lo limdanu Yira. No, he didn't teach us Torah. He wouldn't know about it. He definitely teaches Yerushalayim that was not his agenda. Avulimdanu lomal bigoon ivri anochi. He taught us to be proud to say, I am a Hebrew. Lobe beta bidrash shukfahuganu lekach. Oh, in the base of Madrash, in the clays, everyone said yes. I mean, Ivri, you know, Avram Ivri, no, but in the halls of diplomacy and international politics, he taught us to say, yes, we are a nation. When I read that, I began to understand what Gullus is. And here I want to ask a question, you know, I, I go through this, through a major, you know, this time of the year, starting Yom Smooth. It takes me all the way literally to 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 to, to Thinking about what is Golis and what is Geula, what do I want, what don't I don't want, what can I identify with, what do I identify with? And you think like why is Golis so terrible? She can't shame. No? Is that bad to live in Tinek? But that's good. That bad. So you make Aliyah very nice. Man, you know, I, excuse me, what, what is so terrible about the Gullus? I mean, religion, hate to say it sound terrible, thrived in exile. We learned Tanakh, I hope, and we know during the biblical era, most of the Jews were pagans. They arrived that way to Zorah. The kings of Judea and Samaria Believe me, they weren't wearing trailers. Achiv was not exactly looking for OU kosher. Isabel was not exactly the paradigm of sneers. They were all David Ben Gurion was a tzaddik oilam compared to Omri or Achiv. Are we aware of that? That religion thrived in the villages and failed in the cities. In the upper echelons of society, should we go to the second temple period? There were Hellenized Jews. The Prussian were good in the villages. The Kahuna Gedaila of the second temple period was overwhelmingly 
Hellenized Jews, what we call Mityavnim. The, uh, the villagers and the rabbinic leaders were the mind, they were, oh yeah, there were a lot of people, but they were the farmers. Manhattan, shall we say, which was Jerusalem at the time, the city, oh no, it was dominated by the theaters and the stadiums. So what exactly happened in Gullus? Interesting, the worse it became from us, as soon as we went in the ghettos, we became very from. How many people do you have being oived out by the Zora during the European diaspora those years? How many apostates do you really think we have which weren't coerced? Think of assimilation. Read your Tanakh. Thank God I had a good father. I had to learn a peric a day. How could you not? You have to know your Tanakh. You know... <laughs> These pe- funny people, they learn Tereshim and they don't know the basic Tereshim because I don't, don't understand how Judaism can be believed in that way. And I, 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 I read Tanakh, and I know within 70 years of the first destruction, there was a mass, but mass, assimilation and mixed marriages. When Ezra came back to Yerushalayim, there's a whole Prakim and Nehemia. He had to do a lot of hard work to get the people to leave their Nashim Nachrias. It took much more than 70 years, for goodness sakes, for intermarriage and assimilation to kick in in our Golas. We were from her. Would you believe it? One would almost say that religion as a religion and religiosity thrived in exile. So why are, why are we all crying? What's so bad about exile? Where do you think Talmud Bavli was written? In Bava. By the rivers of Babylon. The non-popular Talmud, the one which isn't Lalacha, was written in Tveria. Okay, they got yourself something in Eretz Yisrael. Ashrachem Eiser. Except for Hasidim, who learns Dafyoimi and Yerushalmi. I mean, come on. That's not, that's not the book. The Allah is like Bavli and not like Yerushalmi. Where do you think the Taz, the Shach, the Rajba, the Rosh, Taisvis, Rashi, they didn't live in Harnoff. The Ramban, Besaif Yom of Baruch Hashem, got to Eretz Yisrael. Yes, religion thrived in what we call exile. Religious practice of the common folk thrive in exile. People don't think about that, but it is the historical truth. So why cry? Why, why, why is everybody like, you know, this face as if you're, you know, during Tammuz and of, you know, when you walk around like, you know, like, like, non-sociable. You know, you see these people on Tisha B'Av, the only thing is you're not allowed to say shalom, which means harmony. You can say hello. Nothing wrong with saying hello to people. You don't bless people with harmony. So I won't tell you, I bless you with harmony. You know, we're good. So I'm not a Quaker. You know what I mean? What's wrong with saying hello to people? No, 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 no. Don't say hello to people. We're antisocial. You are so bitter and antisocial. About what? About what? About the thriving development of orthodoxy? But what? No, Rabbi, I miss them skirted priests slitting throats of goats and sprinkling blood on altars and them levying, singing this real straight out of umkultum music, the nasal stuff you get on Israeli radio and the Arab station. Oh, that's what you really miss and that's what you're crying about. Give me a break. That's that definitely. I don't believe it. when you Uvnei Yerushalayim. You don't really care. Come on, Yerushalayim is built up already. What do you want? Come. No, you need the base of me. Hashavisavoyda Yisrael. You need the burnt offerings. Absolutely, you're dying to smell the burnt sheep. Do you like veal? Do you like lamb? I don't even like lamb, especially with curry. Oh, for goodness' sakes. Can you imagine Pesach in Yerushalayim? 
There are millions of people there. All the small area. The sewage is going to block up. They're all going to be living in tents because they won't be placed. All scurrying around to get into the old city to the Kazais. Can you imagine if the Kazais, the Chazanish of this stuff? You know, they think Kazais is an elephant egg. Okay, it's actually an olive. Just want you to know. I always tell my boys before they go home for Pesach, kids, Azayas is Azayas. L-L-I-V-E. As someone asked the Rav once, how big is a kibetzer? The Rav said, it's an egg, and elephants don't lay them. <laughs> you understand? That's what Azayas is. It's an olive. Okay, so now yes, they're going to be very from. They're going to look for an elephant's egg, like Haimtik Yeshiva Bachim. They think that two matzahs is barely a kazayas, right? And uh, all that veal from all that lamb, it's going to be crowded. During Baishani, it was terrible crowded. They didn't have place to eat. They went up on the rooftops to Fushi Gemara. There was no place. It was so crowded, they had to go up to the rooftops. That's where they said the hollow. What's it going to be like today? It's got to be the old city, right? Unless there's going to be a real you know, hoping. But uh, if it is the way it is today, are you kidding? It's going to be like a power camp. Okay? Isn't it better to be comfortable in your nice house, having the crystal silver flatware, whatever, it is, on the table, and seeing your German... Songs of Adirhu, Adirhu, Baudan Temple, Shiri, you know. And uh, these are German songs. The Levium did not know them, I promise. Okay? And they didn't sing, you know, Man Daber, Man Sapper in Yiddish either, you know what I mean? Or me. No, they, 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 you know the stuff, read it, go listen to the Egyptian music. That's what was happening, and that's what you're going to. Do you want it? Is that what you're interested in? So what's so terrible about Golis? What's the tragedy of Golis? What is the tragedy of Golis? And it is a tragedy. Pasik says in Eicha, listen this carefully, Malka v'sarea bagoyim, if the officers of power, our king and our ministers, equals our government, are dispersed within the nations, ain Torah. You don't really have the Torah. Malta v'sareh bagoyim, ain Torah. The Gura writes on this in his Pirish and Pekeavis, that there's a concept in Torah called Klal HaTorah, the broad understanding of Torah. And that is missing, not if there's no base Hamikdash and no Karbanis, Malka Visarea Bagoyim. If we don't have a government of our own in the land of Israel, and let it be the government of Achav and Izevel and Omri. Malka Visarea Bagoyim, Ein Torah Zotagro. You will never have Klal Hatayra. It's a Groim Perkyavus. One has to understand what this is, because here the Gura is pinpointed. What are we missing? What is the tragedy of Golus? You may have religion, and you may have what you call Taira. You're lacking what is called Klal HaTaira. What does Klal HaTaira mean? You know, um, I was once uh, in um, Paris on Shivasa Batamus. My wife is Parisian. I had to go see my in-laws. I went there for two, three days. Now, what is a young yeshiva boy, yeshiva thing, I was just um, just freshly married, do in Paris on Shivasa Batamus? Not exactly the day to see the Folie Bourget or something like that. What does one do in Paris on Shivasa Batamus? Well, you go to the Louvre, because there's a beautiful, I do suggest it, you have to spend like a week there, and I suggest you do it like, you know, an orderly fashion. So there's an unbelievable Roman pavilion. And I decided to go to the Roman pavilion and to um, 
I wanted to see the bus of Titus and Vespasian. I wanted to try to understand how they were depicted by their peers, what they looked like. I felt I wanted to understand who they were. And I can't do that by reading a Gemara Gittin. Because if I just read the Gemara Gittin, they look like they have horns and spit fire. I wanted to see who they were. I think it's a worthy thing to do, how to understand your Chorban. Who is your Machriv? I went there, and well, that's another conversation as to my, as to my, my, my what I took out of that. They took, it's very interesting. And I sauntered into another room in that pavilion. It's then I saw a piece of art, which I, I always talk about. It's a very famous piece of art. It's actually on the, uh, on, 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 outside of one of the sides of the cathedral in uh, Strasbourg. It's called Synagoga and Ecclesia, the synagogue and the church. Let me describe it. It's a very famous piece of art. Interesting, it has evolved through the centuries, and the modern depictions of it are quite different. Thank God for our good friend John Paul II. Uh, I think I can say that. Okay? Um, I looked at that. I spent an hour and a half at least just looking at that and thinking of it. It is there, which I, the core of these feelings that I have today that I'm sharing with you. You never know where you find the truth and you can find it in a piece of art. You have two twin sisters, two beautiful young ladies, twin sisters, one next to the other. One is dressed in majestic garb, beautiful. She has a crown. She has a scepter with, a, with an orb on top of it. And the orb has a slight cross, and that's Mother Church. And she has the staff of authority. And she's very beautifully adorned, and she's looking forward. And next to her is her sister, her twin sister. And she's blindfolded. And her staff is broken, and her garb is torn. And that is the synagogue. I looked at that, and I looked and I looked. I'm not ashamed to say I pushed cried. Because let me explain what this is. You know, do you think God wants just a religion? Do you think God wants to be order, the head of a religious order? Do you really think God only wants us to be observant? What do you pray for every Rosh Hashanah? You pray that God should not just be the head of your religion, not just the head of your ethnic religious identity, but you want him to be your king. All your tefillahs of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Niroim are about Malchus HaKadosh Baruch What does it mean that he's a king? What is a king? What are you asking for? HaMelech HaKadosh. Melech, Melech, Melech. All your tefillahs of Rosh Hashanah. Reb Chaim Veloshana describes this at length. The the Ikat Fisrashana is Chidush Malchus Hashem. Renewing the kingdom, the monarchy of God. God, you want God to be your monarch. What does that mean? Conceptualize monarch. Does it mean a dysfunctional family living in Windsor Castle? Does it mean some prince talking to flowers? What does it mean, a monarch? Again, you know, sometimes you have to learn, you know, hey, I can say the halacha says that when you see a person above 60, and, you know, and uh, some Arab in the shuk, and you're sitting down, you have to stand up. If they say, but talking, if you see a local Arab past 60, you're not, it's like you, see, you met the Prime Kanevsky, you're supposed to stand up. Why? He's called a Zokain, Shekona Chochma. The guy can't spell. He can't count without taking his shoes off. Or he has one of those things the Arabs use, you know, in the Shuk, you ever see the, the old uh, thing going with... Uh, no, no. 
He is called Zakir Chochoki Kama Harpatke de Adealai. He had so many adventures in life. He has a PhD in life. And that's called Chochma that you're supposed to respect. In other words, there's certain, there's book knowledge. There's also knowledge that man accumulates by living, breathing, experiencing. And that chacha is, is to be respected. And we stand up, you stand up in front of the Rav, you're going to stand up in front of a six-year-old Arab beggar in the shuk. Because you respect chachma. That's a Jewish value, by the way. Something people somehow don't, 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 don't think about. Respecting the wisdom of life. So I'm going to tell you something. You understand. Rabari asked me if I have a Gemara. I said, in my head, I'm today going to talk like a Zakin Armor. I'm the Arab beggar. Past 60. Kamar Patke, the other lie. This comes from my gut. I learned a few books in my life. Was a voracious reader, but this is this is yes. I'm telling you what, what and I honestly think it's true. What is a melech? What does God want? What do you want to be a melech? What does it mean? You know, I was once near Windsor Castle here, yeah, uh, our I used to travel and uh, for vacations, I used to take my children, uh, you know, to different places. I wanted them to see that there are a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of culture. I have whole shu'urm on the Tower of London, because I had to explain to my Israeli children how these people are not ashamed to show all the torture of their history. You know what I mean? Oh, this is where this prince was put into the guy and clinked away. This was, this is where Anne got her head cut chopped off. I remember my son asked me, hey, no mid by shim? You know? <laughs> Are they ashamed? Like, it's very important to teach this to your children. So um, I remember it was Windsor Castle, uh, and uh, the children were running around over there. And I always try to find things which are interesting. So there was this, this, there was this driver there of a horse and a buggy wearing his English boulder and his leather vest. And he would take the tourists around. You know, it's not far from Eton over there. And, you know, he would take them around. Don't need him. So I was talking to him. And all of a sudden, I see he looks up and he stands ramrod straight. Because the queen's standard was going up. And when the queen is in residence, the flag goes up. He tells me the queen is in residence. And I saw Amos Malchus. I suddenly realized, covered of a Malchus, this guy, Zakinarmoa. Literally, a prostabalagola, and he stands with Mamush with their chest from Malchus. This is Rabbi Alufim Yodoi to understand what Malchus is. You know what Malchus is? It's not, well, Elizabeth is actually a very, very, very honorable lady. That's the, the honest truth. I think she has like four official birthdays. I don't know which one it is now. You know, but whatever it be. And you know what I mean? You know, but, you know, that's not the idea. She's a Hanoverian family, which is called the House of Windsor. Actually, they're Germans, if you want to know. It's a very dysfunctional family. I mean, goodness sakes. I mean, you can ask the paparazzi. You know what I mean? But what do they embody? They embody English history. They embody the national identity. Whether Charles is a moral or immoral person is irrelevant. He embodies the national identity of the people residing on that island for centuries. From the Anglos and the Saxons through Normandy through until whenever this will end. So the different houses that existed there, whether the Tudors or so on and so forth, they had so many different families there. That family today is the embodiment of that national identity. And that man with the bowler in his head, on his head stood ramrod straight of the derecheritz of his national identity. And when I see, for example, the Knesset, or I see the flag, it's not the rag with the blue stripes and the white that talk to me, or the two Da Vinci Code you know, triangles that, uh, that merge into the other. 
the female male reality there, which is a very interesting Kabbalistic and also Persian uh, mysticism deals with that. Now, note it is, this embodies, represents my history, my national identity. The common intelligent quotient of the members of that Knesset may not be the highest, especially today. But who cares? That is my nation. That, in that institution, represents my history, my national identity. A king, the Gemara says, the heart of the king is the heart of the nation. Sounds very much like a French king, the state is me. But it is true. The king represents the nation, the national identity. That is what king is. What is a national identity? Oh boy. Definition of a nation. To be very exact, it does not mean a common destiny. It does not only have to mean a common history. Because there are many ethnic groups which have common histories and believe in a common destiny. There are mystical groups which believe that if they share the same soul identity, Jews, for example, that is their nationhood. You ask the local resident of, uh, I don't know, of Kiyos Yol, he would tell you, I'm Yisrael Amid, because we're all covenantal members of the same covenant. That's called an ethnic identity, do with a mystical common denominator. Language is language, and there's no such thing as a king being the head of a religious order. I don't find the Pope being the head of a nation. God does not want to be the Pope. He wants to be a king. He wants to be a head of a nation. You know what that means? It means a community which, through the background of shared land and history, and has developed a common culture which is expressed in its common language. It's the development of a paradigm through which the people see things and how they use language. It is an organism which is alive, growing, and evolving, based with the, because of the common history and possibly because the identity of common destiny, maybe. But it has to be something alive and kicking which is developed because you live together with a certain patch of grass on this earth and a certain history, and you may have developed certain values together. Yes, that's what you call it. That's a nation. God does not want to be the head of a religious group. It is not enough to be the head of a covenantal order. Oh, your culture should be embodied in that covenant. A nation is one whose experience develops a paradigm based on that culture. That is the tragedy of Golis. Yes, we are people. We definitely developed into an unbelievable group of people with our Torah and our religion thrived. And we were an unbelievable religious sect. Which really, its religion evolved and grew. And and it's really beautiful. But we were no more a nation. We no more had the common history and land. And therefore there's the German Jew and the Polish Jew and I know the American Jew. And when Theodor Herzl came to Hungary to try to convince Jews that people should start thinking of being a nation, says, we are not Israelites, we are not Hebrews, we are Hungarians of the Mosaic Jewish faith. And we are proud Hungarians and proud Germans and proud Polish. And I'm a Confederate and you're a, you're a Yankee and so on and so forth. And we have a religion. And that religion is definitely something we believe in and practice and do more or less. 
and that religion thrived. But we're no more a nation. Our religion was no more the basis of our culture and our paradigm through which we perceive things. Our religion was no more the source of our language, the source of our feelings. Goodness sakes, T.S. Eliot has more influence on my thinking than Shlomo Melch and Mishle. And my sense of equality and justice so far is probably much more influenced by who knows how many other cultures I've been tackled with and how much is it really informed by my Judaic culture equals Babli Yerushalmi, Sifra, Sifri, Mechilta, my Judaism and its literature informs me as a religious person. But does it inform me as an uncultured person? Is that my identity? Are those the glasses I use? Is that how I see things? When I say shalom, do I understand that it means harmony? No. That's why you're unsociable, unfishable. The bloody amorts. <laughs> We've been torn away from natural Judaism. Why is it so hard? Why do I have so many challenges with orthodoxy? How many times is that my culture at odds with my religious beliefs and my practice? Are you kidding? I mean, me, animal sacrifice is nothing that I'm really dying about. Yet every day I swear, pray to God, the Isha Yisrael, God, please bring back the Korban Oiva. Aren't you at odds with that? Do you really want to see Arba Mises Bezden? Do you want to see hot lead pour down through throats of people? Are you interested in public flogging? That's what they do in Saudi Arabia. You're not. Because you're westernized. Because you lack the, uh, the paradigm. The cultural, your religion is a religion. It is not your culture. It's not what forms your feelings and your language. It's the truth. Goodness sakes. In my generation, probably Bob Dylan had more effect on my sensitivities and Woodstock more than the Chreis was Kehelis. Yes. Think of it. I'm a Jew. I've lost, but I am an uncultured Westerner. I am in Gullis. I am a man who's been exiled from my national identity. I'm not a natural Jew. I'm at odds with my religion. Many times my religion challenges my sensitivity. Oh, I will do it because my religion overcomes anything else. You know, bingo, you know. I may not really like this, but I'm going to go for it. You know, if they're going to tell me to put a, be mock of a corporate, I will do it. They'll tell me to do, you know, whatever. I'm not going to what I will. I will, hopefully, I will do it all. I mean, it doesn't mean I won't grit my teeth. Don't you know that it says in the Messianic era, God will somehow finally solve that dilemma. By the Pasuk of Molo Oras Dasis Hashem Kemaim Liyam Mechasin, we will go through a total major cultural metamorphosis. And all of a sudden, we'll go through a major paradigm switch. Get used to it, guys. Das Hashem the knowledge of God will be the overwhelming value which will be in front of our eyes. At that point in time, we will no more be at odds with our religion. We will not have those challenges anymore. I talk to the sensitive person, which does, I'm, I think I'm older than most of the people here. Most, not all, okay? And I spent all my life learning and studying and don't think for one minute that you don't have challenges between your cultural self and your religious persona. Baruch Hashem, you know, you, do, you try your best, you do well. But the challenges are there. The irksomeness of, you know, 
Every time I learn Pasha's bin Sarah Myra, I say, okay, yeah, I can tell you all the lumbers. The kid's 13 years old. What did he do? Stole a bottle of wine, had himself a heavy swarmer sandwich. You know, the, the guy's going to get stoned. And I mean stoned with stones, not the, you know, he's going to get stoned. I know. But, you know, <laughs> you know, wow, what happened to all the good values of education? Oh, yeah, but, you know, and we do it. And that's our halacha. Oh, and then we always love saying, Oh, lahayavale nivra. The Gemara says, You think lahayavale nivra? One time says, I'm sorry, I was at the guy's grave. It happened. You know, when someone says lahayavale nivra, it means they, it couldn't possibly have happened. Not that he threw the annals of history and it didn't happen. It couldn't possibly happen. Yes, you're right, it couldn't possibly, but it did. It's a nice way of saying, Hakanshkin Chinik. That's what the Gemara is saying, right? That's what the Gemara is saying. This is not machlaikis. This is one. This is one guy saying, "How could it? It can." That's the answer. So it was. You do you like that? Does anybody? I mean, you did it every day in Tefillah. You say, "Ashiva shevtenu klarishona viatzenu kivatchila." God. I'm an angst that we don't have the ancient system of jurisprudence of public flogging, of Arbamis' Besden, of putting people in solitary confinement and giving you a terrible diet and they die of a bleeding ulcer. It's called Kippah. It's in Martin Hedrick. Okay. Oh, yeah, I need this. And with that, I'm very distraught. Look, but I don't want to tell you you're liars. That's for the rabbi to say. I have a way of saying that in a way that I work with. I'm good with. I say, God... I don't really know, not into this, but I know you want this. And I'm distraught that your will is not being fulfilled. I'm pretty comfortable at the moment. <laughs> but I know that this, what I'm comfortable is wrong, and you really want this to happen, and I want this to happen for you. That's how I, that's how I deal with this. Otherwise, can I honestly, God, I'm an angst and distraught that we're not killing people, you know, I love these hot milkshakes of lead down people's throats, or, you know, throttling people with two guys in a scarf going the opposite direction. Oh, come on, the chair is easier than that. You know what I mean? But that's how it makes his bedroom. And you say this three times a day. You just said it very fast. It makes my mind. Me takes a little slower to daven because I got problems with my shvanastra. You guys have no problem. That's because you're messianic Jews. Me, I try to be true with God. It takes me time to swallow that bracha. It does. I'm being honest. A few other brachas there, if you think about you, like, slow down. Okay? If you, if you believe in God, he's not deaf. He doesn't have Alzheimer's. He's for real. You're talking to him. Don't think you can con him. So that whole challenge between my culture and my religiosity is a product of Gullus. Because I am a Westerner which believes in the celestial truth given at Sinai. And I strive to live by that. But it's much harder to identify with some of it. That's the tragedy of Gullus. A very big tragedy. I am a religion but it's not my culture. God may be the head of my religious order, but he is not my king. I do not see in him and in his Torah and in his values the embodiment of my identity. I'm probably, even the founding fathers of America were too firm for us. John Kennedy. Now that's a president I can live with. It wasn't exactly king morality, but who would know by now? No, you would know. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's about the president I can deal with. You know what I mean? Definitely not Nixon. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And God wants you to see it in him. He's your king. I don't mean Elvis Presley type of king. The king, God. In him, I see the light. In him, I see enlightenment. In him, I see values. In him, I see my paradigm. Through him, I see the world 
through his thoughts and feelings, I develop my language and my sensitivities. When you pray for Malchus Hashem, that's what you're praying for. You're praying once again to develop a religion, transforming it outside of just being your religious order and values into your culture, forming your language, creating your real values, not what officially you're supposed to feel. That's what Geula is supposed to be. Ramban describes this. The Ramban says in the Psichat Pasha Shmais that when a Jew is called Nigalim, when the Shechina again is above them. Yes, when they live and perceive godliness, and that becomes what they what they're familiar with, what they what what, what they breathe, then we are really redeemed. That's the end of Golas totally. So I want you to understand that in Christianity, people who are, oh, I'm sorry, I've overstepped my welcome, it's past nine. Give me five more minutes at least. After the five, we'll do, you know, whatever it be. Uh, I need a glass of whiskey. Where is it? I need Bobner. I need Bobner. Okay. I think that's water. Huh? Um, I don't know if you know your writings of the fathers of the church. But basically, Yechezkel already describes this in Navi, in Perik Lamedvav, how the Jews will be in Gullus and says, and the Goyim will say, they are obviously no more God's children. For he threw them out and doesn't care about them anymore. Yechesko perceives, foresaw that which we call today supersessionism. The basis of what the fathers of the church believed as the New Testament. That God had forsaken the Jews and they are no more a nation. They have no right for nationhood anymore. They are just a bunch of people. A community if you want. An ethnic group should you choose. He is not their king anymore. There is no more covenantal relationship with them. And the new Israel is Mother Church. And there is a new bris, a new covenant equals the New Testament. And we are only left at the scapegoats of history in order to testify through our existence for the Old Testament, which will lead to the New Testament equals the New Covenant. Yes, the Pasuk says and promises us, The staff of kingdom, of national identity, will never leave Judea. Even in Golis, there was there's Russia, Goliath, Bavel, etc., Obeis Rebbe, the Russia Sanhedrin. They were supposed to be the embodiment of our Malchus. And the Goyim actually believed, as this went on for, it's a basic tenement of the church until John Paul II, that Jews cannot and will never be a nation again. And their staff of Malchus will be broken, for they did not see the Savior, and therefore they are blindfolded, and their garb of majesty is torn off from them. And that's what I saw in that piece of art called Synagogue and Ecclesia. That the church is now the new Israel and it has majesty and it wears the garb and the shavit is not the shavit Yehuda, it is the shavit of Rome. It is the staff of authority that now is the nation of God. And the sister, so to speak, Judea, the synagogue, is no more nation. They actually did believe until recently Sar Shavit Miyuda. There is no more Jewish nation. Thank you so much. The tragedy is that Jews believe the church. And we also believed it. The tragedy of Gauls, not only did the Malche Edom, the church, believe this, we also believed it. And people feel that Judaism is nothing more than a religious reality with some kind of mystical soul identity. 
don't even know that they are lacking a national identity. A thriving, evolving <coughs> language in the way of seeing things through a national experience of religious behavior. The Raman writes in Perik Aleph Hichas Beisabchira, says, what is the Beisamigdash for? So the Raman writes, first of all, it's a bias for Hashem. Which is the Raman explains in Mary Nebuchim, means a place to contemplate on your covenant. Contemplate on the Luchos, contemplate your covenant. Two, take that contemplation into serious avoidance Hashem, Karbanus. And then what? Is God just happy with you contemplating and you contemplating and you giving Karbanus and you giving Karbanus? No. And the Ramah says the third thing, which is the third part that spoke to this wheel, the Chogigim Elav Shalash Pa'amim Vashana. This must become a national pilgrimage thrice yearly. You know, back in the 60s, there was a song by Scott McKenzie that all the people were converging in San Francisco with flowers in their hair. I still remember that. I saw it. 1967, summer, I remember it. And I always felt that this is that Rabbi telling we're all converging on Yerushalayim. Oh, San Francisco. So we're all converging on Yerushalayim. All going there. This was the focal point of our national identity thrice yearly. Whole families uprooted themselves to have a national experience around the hub of our culture, which was the base of Mikdash. That Yerushalayim was the hub of our culture. And we had this unbelievable cultural experience. I don't want to sound like we're all going to Heidelberg, you know, but it, we're all going to Yerushalayim. It's unbelievable. This is what it was. The base of Mikdash was not for your Kabbanis or your Kabbanis. According to Ramah, its goal is a national experience. A nation experiences its nationality through a religious pilgrimage, thrice yearly. It's unbelievable. That's the goal of the Migdosh. Ba'is Hashem, Mochin L'Hokim HaKarbanas, V'chaykigim Eilav Shaldash Parim V'Shana. That's the criteria for Abbas HaMigdosh. They only talk usually about the one in the middle. The Ba'is Hashem, they don't think, who thinks about that anymore? Chaykim Eilav Shaldash Parim V'Shana But you have to put them all together. That's what it's for. God does not want me to be the head of a church. He does not believe in supersessionism. He believed, God tells us, you know, it is so terrible how we believe this. Now, religion has thrived, but totally devoid of that dimension. And in 1948, God gave a clarion call to history and told the world, Lo yasur shevet mi Yehuda The staff of majesty was not, will not, and never will be broken. For you are a nation. A nation starts with a country. Ultimately, experience will develop into a culture the way we should have it. And if you ever, ever read the Hespid of Rav Kuksicha and the Vrachan Herzl. So he describes the Messianic process goes through two stages, Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben Yosef is that part of history which we develop a basic national identity, a land, a nation, a national identity. Mashiach ben David will finally fill it in with the national culture of Das Hashem. But first we have to be a nation again. So we may be a nation of pagans, for all as I know, and we may have a king like Ahab. I think we're doing pretty good, by the way. Historically speaking, much better than the Tkufa, the Shaitim, and much better than by the Shani. This, as far as our government is certain, much what are you talking about? It's Ganeb now, Eliyahu and Nabi, they killed hundreds of prophets, he's the only one left. No one has killed rabbis in Israel yet. 
Um, yet. You know, wait till Balad gets into the government. You know, I don't know. But yeah, think of it. We are in a better state today than Bias Rishon or Bias Shani. Can I be blunt? All the times people have complaints, it's not perfect. Perfect? Who's looking for perfection? Oh, I want a perfect marriage. Stay a bachelor. <laughs> There's such thing as perfection. The only thing that's perfect in existence is death. You're perfectly death. <laughs> Health is not perfect. Right, doctor? There's the thing is perfect. Don't you understand that God gave his unbelievable miraculous thing in 1948 and told the world, drop supersessionism. That girl with the blindfold, uh-huh, she ain't got a blindfold. That broken staff, it's a real staff. And she's a nation. And you know something? It's crazy how, slowly but surely, we all feel that way. We have a homeland. We are a nation. And we're actually proud. I am very proud when I hear a tikva. In the Olympic Games. That's not exactly what Chaylis and Tzitzis, right? Yeah, I'm proud. Who isn't proud? Malkiel Kutler's probably proud. For all I know. Couldn't care less. That's the truth. I mean, goodness sakes. God has told you that you're a nation. Now you're challenged. Can you translate your religion into your culture? That's our job. You want Mashiach bin David? You have boots? Start walking. Start working on it. Transfer, transfer. What is for? For trying, slowly but surely, each and every one of us, to internalize our religion and transform it into our paradigm, into our culture. That's our job. We want Mashiach now. Do something about it. Take your religion and transform it into your culture. Yes, so Ravella was right. Herzl may have not taught me Yira. He didn't know much about it. He didn't teach me your Shemaim. didn't teach me Torah. But he's the first one that reintroduced us back to our ancient national identity. Ivri I'm a member of the world of nations. And for that, we owe him a lot. God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, but once again, hey, I learned Tanakh. Definitely mysterious. It's like King Achav slaughtered prophets. And Elio ran after his chariot to honor him because you're supposed to be Mechabed Malchus of Chal Yisrael. Can you imagine? Believe me, I repeat again, David Ben-Gurion was the Satna Rebbe compared to Achav. Believe me. And we all should be Mechabed we should be mechabit, unbelievable, thank God for this unbelievable change in history. Do you realize what happened that the Pope could not recognize Herzl, didn't even want to take him in as an audience, because you Jews will never be a nation. You can't be a nation. And how long did it take in 1948 when we finally had a nation? The Vatican did not recognize Jerusalem as a nation. We were not recognized as a nation. The official answer was because you didn't own biblical Judaism. Judea, which was Judea and Samaria. You only had, well, if you know the Mediterranean border, whatever, life's culture, Netanya, Ashdod, Yavna, that's Philistine land. That's Erzaplishtim. If you really want to know, you know Ashdod, like, you know, that's Erzaplishtim. Uh, Judea, Yuda, Shemron, we didn't own that. So that was the official reason. 1967, poor Roman Catholic Church. They didn't know what to do with themselves. It wasn't easy. Then finally John Paul had the guts to say, yes, they are a nation, and supersessionism is passé, and now they're our older big brother, if you recall. A major theological U-turn in Catholicism happened, if you any, if you 
read this. And then you look at the modern day pictures of synagogue and ecclesia. You can go to Britannica or Wikipedia or whatever it is. Look it up. It's worth it. And you will see two brothers hugging each other, each one, one carrying a mug and dabbit, and the other one a cross. All that is because the Jews are finally beginning to recognize that they're a nation. That has already changed majorly the theological world of the Catholic. I'm hoping they'll ultimately convince the Jew to change his paradigm too. Have a great deal much food. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>